0: There was a, a preschool or a kindergarten teacher, her name was Mrs. Smith, and Mrs. Smith wanted to teach vocabulary, and so the way she did that was uh, she would put up these uh, like uh, pictures of animals and different objects and have pick on the kids to say, hey, what do you, what's this word? What does this describe? So one morning, she pulled out a large picture of a deer, and she called on Billy and said, Billy, what is this, this animal? It's our vocabulary word today, and she said, or Billy said, kind of looked, and he started getting embarrassed and shamefully, goes, Mrs. Smith, I don't know. I don't know what that is. And so she wasn't going to quit, and she wanted to kind of work with Billy and not embarrass him. She goes, well, I'm going to give you a hint. She says, what does your mother call your father? <laughs> and so he got excited for a moment because he figured, I know this one, but then his face kind of started to distort, and he said, Mrs. Smith, is that really a pig? (laughs) You don't like that one that much, do you? Sorry, guys. We've been in this, last week we talked about this idea of what does it take for us to grow? And if you're here this morning and you haven't been in a church in a while, I would imagine that your perception, when we hold up the card that says, what is this? You probably have a very different perception. In fact, most uh, scholars and some pastors would say that the idea of someone disbelieving in a faith in Christ often is because they misunderstand what it's really about. Most people that don't have a belief in God don't have a a true proper picture or understanding, a name, to name what it really is. They only bring baggage of a bad experience and whatnot. And so this morning, we're talking about this idea of what does it mean to know Jesus, but then to grow? And, And that's difficult in our culture because we have a culture that likes to Uh, be convinced, or get all the facts about certain things. And remember I said last week, if you haven't listened to last week's message, please do, because we came out of this passage, Matthew chapter 7, where Jesus is finishing the Sermon on the Mount, and he finishes in Matthew 7 with this, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. And we talked about the idea that when you become a Christ follower, you don't earn that. There there is no picture in the Bible of you having to earn salvation. You receive a gift. You accept it. But once that happens, there's a change. There's a shift. And you're beginning this journey, this narrow road, as he would write in the Sermon on the Mount, but to be on this narrow road to put into practice the things that God's called us to practice and to practice staying away from other things that he's called us not to practice. And so then we're left with this this reality of, well, are we practicing this? Are we building houses that are built on a rock, on a solid foundation? Let me put it to you in a different way. When you became a Christian, and if you did this morning, if you accepted that that gift that we're going to talk about at Easter, the, the life, death, and sacrifice of Jesus Christ to atone for the sin, to pay for the sin that you've committed, that we've committed, We're forgiven, and so we're a part of the family. Once that happened, you got a new way to see life. Without without knowing Christ, you see the world very differently. Once you became a Christian, it was like, Billy, you get it. You get the picture. You know the right names for it, and it's because God begins to illuminate how you view the world. Well, because of this, uh, we have a new view on life. And life looks very different. And you begin to see the instruction in Scripture not to be a list of to-dos that are burdensome, but a freedom. You see the list as a powerful new response to a God that loves us. The, the Bible will say it this way. It will say, Paul will say, I do these things, I'm paraphrasing in Timothy, uh, and he talks about it in Ephesians, to, to please the one the commander. I, I'm, I'm battling through this. He talks about even Corinthians. I'm, I'm doing all this stuff because it's God I want to please. You see, it's a new lens. Without Christ, we're probably on the throne and it's about pleasing ourselves. And we're waiting on the couch often to be convinced. T- to be growing in your faith then means to get up and to begin to practice Many of these things that we don't even fully understand, don't like, know that we're a bit rebellious, just like the children we raise, that, oh, do I really have to? And God's not holding your feet to the fire. He's just saying, your life can be led this way. I created you, and I know how life can give you so much more if you live it this way. Dallas Willard says it this way, as Jesus' disciple, I'm his apprentice in kingdom living. Or apprentices. I am learning from him on how to lead my life in the kingdom of heavens as he would lead my life if he were here, or I, he were, if he were I. It is my faith in him that led me to become his disciple. My confidence in him simply means that I believe that he is right about everything, that all he is and says shows what life is at its best. What it is intended by God to be in him was life, and the life was the light of men. Being his apprentices, therefore, not a matter of special religious activities, but an orientation of the quality of my entire existence. This is what it's meant by Jesus when he says that those who do not forsake all cannot be his disciple. The emphasis is upon the all. There must be... Nothing held of greater value than Jesus and His kingdom. He must be seen clearly as the most important thing in human life. And being his apprentice as the greatest opportunity of, the, of any human being ever has. When I became a Christ follower, when you became a disciple, when you accepted that gift, you're overwhelmed, God begins to transform, and you view life very differently. You don't see the Bible as an instruction of bummers, of a list of just keeping up, making us a bored group of people in life. You see it as freeing, freedom. And so this morning, I'm gonna walk you through A to Z. This list on your bookmark, it's, it's not the exhaustive list, it's not even a linear list. It doesn't mean Troy's come up or community churches come up with the list of all the things you're to practice. It was just a creative way to show you going through your Bible, there are lists of instructions and I thought I would just highlight 26 of them. And so I'm going to do that this morning and I have 60 seconds per letter that I'm allowed to talk about any of these. And so I'm going to practice that discipline of not talking as much, right? So here we dive in. First letter A is accept. It really starts there for your faith. Learning to accept the things of Christ. It says in Mark, Others, like seeds sown on good soil, hear the word and accept it. We have a culture so much today that wants to debate and get all of the facts about God before I accept. At some point, you accept the reality of what Jesus did for you and who he was, led a sinless life. And when you get to that point, accepting it, it doesn't mean you know everything about Jesus. And so part of this getting off the couch means accept it. Learn to accept the truths of Christ. There's so much out there today about science and trying to disprove or discredit. And people ask me, what if this this were to be learned? And what do you think if if the, the world was this old or this book was found, would it discredit anything? I said, no. I accept the truth and the claim of Jesus Christ and a God in the universe all these things that we keep trying to discover, eh. You learn to accept. At that point, then you what's called believe. The Bible's filled with this. It says that very truly, I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him, belief doesn't mean a full, extensive understanding of everything in life. Again, we as a prideful country, Americans, we're highly intellectual, we value knowledge almost to a point of a God. And belief in the Old Testament and the New Testament meant something different. It doesn't mean just I accept this intellectually. It meant that I responded by action. You would never say in the Bible in those times that you would believe in the idea of forgiving others unless you actually practiced it. Those two were one and the same. In our culture today we have people that say they believe things about god but don't practice them that's not belief belief means holding to the things that this one jesus has called us to and because we're going to celebrate easter and good friday we're convinced that the most important and the most valuable thing in my life is to believe in who he is and follow we get then to see which is confess the bible says that we're to confess our sins To him, We know that because of that sacrifice, we one time have this gift of forgiveness. But the scripture does say to confess our sins, and it's good for us. And when I sit in that chair before I walk in the stage, there's a review of my week. And God, I know I'm sinful. And it's like an accountability for me to just go recognize my sinfulness. But you know what it also says in James? Confess your sins to one another. Try that as a discipline. You know what that does to a room? When people start to become honest about their brokenness, boy, the the ranking goes away, the judgment goes away because we recognize that we're all broken. We don't cheerlead sin when we confess it to one another. We recognize our brokenness and we get to see each other differently. The Bible says that we're to practice confessing our brokenness to one another. D, discipline. If I could tell you that the Bible and, and its instructions would be easy, I would be lying to you. It would be like putting up a picture that's very false about the faith. It's discipline. 1 Timothy 4, 7, and 8 have nothing, have nothing to do with these worldly fables. The world's going to have a lot of different ways that you can live your life. It's going to say the most popular ways to do this and to do that and to get this and to get that But friends, you need to hear very clearly that God says you're going to need to discipline yourself not to adhere to the world's ways. It doesn't mean you stand on your high horse and point at everybody who's not. It means fight the fight, as Paul says, in your own battle and discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. It's hard work. It's really hard work. It's super hard work. Discipline is not fun. But we know that the fruit of that eventually will change us you guys this list won't fix you tomorrow in fact this list isn't the whole list and there's ways that you could come up with other things but this list if you don't begin to practice you won't see fruit next year you won't change you won't see transformation if you wait to be moved discipline is sacrificial and it hurts and it's work E encourage, the Bible says this often, there's something so beautiful when Christians gather. When the people of God begin to gather and to worship around who he is and his name, something transformational, something spiritual begins to happen to us and it's called to us in the Hebrew writer, he says, let us consider how we may spur one another up toward love and good deeds. Do not give up the meeting together, as in some are in the habit of doing. But encourage one another. That's discipline. It's a discipline to be encouraging and saying, "We miss you. Be, let's get together again." It doesn't just have to be in this room. It could be living rooms all throughout our city. There, there is gatherings and clusters of people helping us, calling us out of sin, calling us to living this narrow path, calling us to practice. Encourage. I'm not going anywhere. Uh, somebody's on there. Is uh, somebody on there? Hello. Whoa. There we go. Okay. F. Forgive. For if you forgive other people, they will. When they sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you also but if you do not forgive other sins your father will not forgive your sins this has always been a mysterious verse to me this idea of forgiving and we talk about a list of things to put into practice is it mean that god won't forgive you and this is the unforgivable sin no his point is when you have a new view about life that view largely is about you when i begin to confess my sins to one another When I start talking about my brokenness, it's a lot easier to let go of stuff from you. When you accept the reality that God loved you despite your rebellion, when God loves me despite my sinfulness, darkness, and rebellion, when you wrong me, it's a lot easier. It takes work, that takes practice. Forgiving is something we have to begin. Now, let me say a word about forgiveness. There's layers, right? We can begin to discipline ourselves and tell somebody we forgive them, but we recognize emotionally we might have been harmed very deeply. It doesn't necessarily mean that that forgiveness will begin to come from our hearts, but God's reading our intention, our motive. If we really, truly, like, I really want to forgive you and I'm going to say it, but gosh, that may take layers and you may have to come back to that person, but it's this practice of forgiveness, G, give. This is not because God wants your money or the church wants your money. There's, it says, there's an assumption here that Jesus makes. So when you give, there's not even a, he'll, he'll command many other times about giving to the poor, but there's just a response when we have a new view about our faith that money and things don't become the thing we pursue. That we do that as a practice of sacrifice, but obviously reminding us what it's all about and we help others so when you give to the needy don't make that about hey look at me look what I just did there's a discipline there's something that starts to change when you begin to do this help I loved this I picked some different words because I felt like we could probably put different words in here and you could if you want but you know we're called to help we're called not just to watch Not just to sit back and agree and I'll just pray for you. In fact, the writer James talks about if you just tell somebody, well, I'll pray for you, but you have the means to help someone, that's not the love of God in you. We're to help. And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need. Do you recognize there are so many opportunities for help in this room right now? And you kind of wonder, well, Troy, tell me, but I don't think we'll have a kiosk of saying, help this person, here's the banner, and here's the sign-up list. Sometimes we can. You know what it takes? You being a help finder, starting to look into people's lives, ask them questions, be observant, watch people. We've got to help, intercede. Intercede. We know we're to pray, but we, as we talked about last year, do you know we're to take on the case of others? The Bible talks about this, that we're to, like in a legal picture, to take on the case of other people. We have a prayer uh, page at our website that you can read through those, whether anonymous or not, these, these prayer requests that people have, and you can click on it and it says that they've been prayed for at least once and it counts them, but we're to intercede for all people. Right now, we're, we're to be interceding for people we don't like in the world. To plead their case to the one. Joy. For Jay, it says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. This is a tough one. This is not like the idea of the cheerleaders that, you know, I, loved, I love watching cheerleaders at a game when their team's getting destroyed, right? Because they're going to cheer themselves to the victory, right? They're going to encourage them, and so there's, they still do that. This is not pretending, but it's a new view that in the midst of the pain and trials in life, because when we don't have that view, right, that's everything. Our world falls apart. When relationships are falling apart, when finance, when health, our world falls apart, we can't have any happiness. When we have this new view, we recognize the foundation is accepting the claim of Jesus Christ. Nothing can shake that. Then we start to see that I have an inward joy that that never moves. And in the midst of all this trial, you know what? I'm going to get stronger. It's going to make me a little bit more steadfast, a little bit more patient, joy. Keep, man, this word pops up all throughout your Bible. Uh, it talks about, especially in the Old Testament, but in First John, whoever says I know him but does not keep his commandments is a liar. The truth is not in him, but whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. Often you hear this word keep. It doesn't mean like we keep things put away somewhere. Many of us have these storage boxes in our home, right? You have stuff that you've kept. It's sitting there on a shelf somewhere and you have to find it and you kind of blow off the dust off whatever it is. No, this is, your, it's keeping in your heart. It's something that you think about. It's, it's right with you. The Jewish culture believed that the word of God was this way and that anything he spoke was like honey, sweet, to take in, to eat, to ingest, to keep close, The whole uniform of the Levitical priests is all about keeping. We keep, we hold to, we adhere to. L, love. You knew that one was coming. Matthew 5, you've heard it said that you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. You know, Jesus will say later on in a text, he'll say, it's easy to love people that love you back. But you can tell someone that has a view, a godly view of the world, when they learn to love people that are wronging them. It's a discipline and a practice to love people that have hurt you, to love people that are evil. He says love them. He says love them. Meditate. Uh, I know hidden doesn't start with an M, I'm pretty observant, Uh, but often that same word pops up, hidden and meditate and uh, uh, to sit in is this term, and often through the Psalms or the Proverbs, some of the prophetic books, there's this idea of a meditation, sitting in. Psalms 1 will talk about being a tree firmly planted by streams of water, meditating on the word day and night. It says, you've commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might sit against you. Friends, a practice is to meditate on the scripture. And you might say, well, I don't understand it. I know you don't. But you begin to meditate and you sit in it and you sit in it and you continue to do that. And over time, in practice, God will begin to reveal to you truth. It's not a one-time read and you're done. I've read the Bible once and I've got it all. It continually will speak to you, but you've got to meditate in it. N, name. I love this one. You need to name it. It says, I will declare your name to my people in the assembly. I will praise you. The scripture talks about this often, that the the people of God that love God, that have, have accepted Christ, practice naming him. That means they're not ashamed in culture that they can name the name of Christ, not being bullies. But responding out of love and saying, I want to name him. He is God. He is my God. Troy, why are you so honest? If they're asking me. It's not, oh, just, you know, my family grew me up that way. It's because God's called me that way. When an answered prayer comes, when something victorious in your life, when something amazing, a miracle, you've, do you name him? There's a verse in the Bible that even talks about if you're fearful to name me, before men on earth, I will not introduce you to my Father. I don't understand that totally, it scares me. Name him, practicing to name his name, obey. If anyone obeys his word, love of God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. People who are obedient. You know, there are a lot of things in the Bible, when I read it, it's the ouch factor, Ah. I want to do that like the loving your enemy or forgiving your enemy I really want to do that you know many of these things that God's calling us to practice at first hurt they're disciplined they're things that we don't like it's like for the first time going back to the gym and going ouch I don't want to do that then feeling for three days right the ouch factor of what you just did but you know that the continuing practice of this, the obedience to that, will eventually begin to produce something in you. Obedience. Probably right now, all of you know something that you're either being disobedient in the area that God's called you to live. Just look at the Bible, it's filled. Or there's things that God's called you to be and you're not, you're not obeying that. Again, you can make your own list this morning, but they're right in front of you. I don't have a song, a spe- you know, Bobby, come up and do a special song to m- move us off that couch and just motivate us to, to all of a sudden find ourselves com- fully complete. You've got to begin to obey. P is to pray. This is a theme verse we've used for a few years now here at church. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful. Pray for us too, that God may open a door for us to speak forth that message of Christ clearly? Are you praying? You know, often, I don't know how, God's wired me in, in an interesting way. I can think a couple things when I'm up here. So like I see your faces, um, and I remember conversations with you. As I'm teaching, it's really interesting. I don't know if that's like psychotic or what, but, I, but I, sometimes I'm praying. Like I'll see some of you and know your story, or know that you're maybe here and you haven't been here in a while. And I think, oh man, Lord, awesome they're here. God's asking us to have that dialogue and conversation with him. Q. I bet you were wondering what I was going to do for that one. <laughs> X is coming. Uh, quick. We could have done quiet. We could have done a lot, but the idea, this is a powerful one, and this was challenging for me. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen. I talk a lot. It's, I'm usually quick to talk. Talk about a discipline and something to begin to practice in your life. To be quick to listen. To respond immediately just to hear. Whether it be God or others. Remember, your Bible is filled from cover to cover of the people of God saying, let us not forget. Because we forget. If there's one thing true of our humanity in this world is that we forget. We forget this small, Parting seas that God has done. He's parted the seas for you probably this last season. Whether it was answered prayer in finance, relationship, health. Amazing victories all around us. I've heard people say, well, Troy, if I was just there and watching Jesus heal people. If I could have seen the Red Sea parted, then it would be easy not to. I would never forget that. Friends, I think the, the Bible gives us a great picture of a million people. Forgetting within a mile's walk, complaining, and we're not much different. And the scripture says to remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I'll remember your miracles of long ago, but also like of a minute ago. How many times do we forget? We're to remember. S is sacrifice. Popular verse we've used many times here on Sundays, Romans 12, 1 and 2. It's Paul. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Think about the picture, and that's what you want to do with Scripture often, is to look at the picture. A sacrifice was an animal put on the altar and completely dismembered, blood let out, a messy project, right? God's saying, your life is to be viewed as laying yourself down there, laid open, fully, Given away. When we talk about practice, practice being a sacrifice, that does not sound really fun. That doesn't sound like I'm going to be a, such a happy Christian when I start practicing. Tomorrow is going to be a great day, you know. All of Green Bay becomes this beautiful place. Often it's sacrificial and it hurts. But the scripture says that this becomes our reflection of worship. I didn't say this in the first service, but I need to say it here. This list is not to make you happy. This, this list is just a creative way to teach something that the Scriptures filled with things we're called to practice, not necessarily to make us happy. That's not its primary objective. You know what it is? It's because He is holy, and we're to reflect that we're His part of His family. It's to refine us. Now in that process, we're guaranteed we're going to find a new happiness that surpasses our understanding of that. Sacrifice. Thankful. We're to be thankful. I love reading, and the last book I just read, again, is another Ann Voskamp book, but her idea of 1,000 gifts of being thankful Reflecting on the things that God has done. Are you thankful? Are you remembering the things that you should be thankful for? They happen all the time. We gave journals to our, our staff and spouses and elders and spouses, and they say remember on them. And they're just so that we can start jotting down all these things that we should be thankful that God has given us. My wife and I just went and saw, with some friends, American Sniper, and... I have to say as the, the scenes of the Middle East, and Trisha and I have traveled enough to say, most of the world is not like Green Bay. We have it good. You get to decide if you want to go out to lunch today in, in a, a very safe culture. And, and for a moment there in the movie, I kept thinking, wow, the reality? of the world is so different. In some ways, we're so incubated with so much here, we forget what we should be thankful for. Unity, scripture says that we're to pursue unity. That does not come naturally. That does not mean we sit together and we decide that we're all gonna be one party like voting party and oh good, we're unified, right? We all agree on certain propositions. What's the unity around? It's around Jesus. That's why I don't get hung up on a lot of other churches or a lot of other teachers in the world. Are there teachers that I disagree with, that I listen to? Yes, we're unified on Jesus. Don't agree with everything. None of us do. The scripture says, Peter's saying, have unity of mind. Begin to anchor in on the things that we agree on. There are some basic foundations of what it means to be a Christ follower that we should be unifying around. This is a discipline. This is a practice. Value. Back to that First Timothy passage. It says, "For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value." I put this in there because we need to not walk around as if the value list of God is not really important to us. But I got to do it. You know, I'm a good religious person. I've gone to my service this week. I've given a little money. It needs to be something that you fall in love with and that's the view change because when you don't have that sense of realizing what God's given you, you don't see that as a value. But man, the idea of discipline and sacrifice, while it be hard, I value it. Paul will say, I strive to please the one whom I serve. It's the commander, it's God. I want to do everything possible. That's the most important thing part of my life w is worship your bible is filled with this word bobby's taught us that songs don't necessarily mean worship they're an expression of worship but the bible is filled and with this idea of worship and can i can i punch you a little bit today that probably sounds terrible but i want i want to hit you a little bit with this cuz it hits me the idea of saying Because it's in our culture, you know. We're a highly intellectual culture. And people sitting there kind of like that during some of these moments, I think, that we've had in our services. Well, Troy, I'm having a worship service inside of me. I'm having a party for God. I'm jumping around inside. And all you see is... (laughs) Worship expresses itself physically. Physically. Like when you're overwhelmed, you, you, you can't help but if it's arms up or it's kneeling or it's standing. And I'm not saying those are all pre-qualifying things you have to do, but it expresses itself in your posture. When you're overwhelmed, you're, you bow. There's a reason we bow our heads. All those things are, are expressions of acknowledgement of worship. When you sing and your voice however bad or good it sounds you just project it because there's a love when you feel emotion when that organ started for the service that triggers something really sweet memories for me early years and hearing that the reverence of god where to worship there it is so you were trying to figure out what i was going to do with that the only X word I could find in the entire Bible, I think, is Xerxes and a couple other names that are crazy that start with an X. But I thought I would do this creatively. This is this is the Greek letters. The word, the letter, that looks like an X. Is actually uh, chi, C-H-I. If you want to say chi, that's be my guest. Um, but it means Christos. How we use the word Jesus Christ is not his last name. Christos is not his last name. It's Jesus. It means the anointed one. The anointed one. Now, therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in the anointing of the anointed one. I think for us to to remember and to practice that we are anointed, we're brought into that because of the anointed one, not because of what we do. This is something that we constantly got to practice and remember and not forget. Why? To yearn. I mean, this is, a, this is an interesting word. Because when's the last time that you, your soul yearned, even fainted for the courts of the Lord? You couldn't wait to be in his presence, to to sit with him in the morning and meditate in the word, to be with him in prayer, to, to gather with other Christians and to say, I my soul yearns. We yearn for a lot of things in this world, don't we? But the scripture says, he says that this practice of yearning, it says, my soul yearns, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Wow. I mean, you can find some other words to fill up this list, but we're getting to that last one, and that last one really means that it's the end. And this Z, really just Zenith, that's not in your Bible, but there is a picture in your Bible, in Revelation and all through it that says, if you practice these things, God begins to bring you to completion. He begins to do that. That view changes, that life changes, and so when someone harms you, you think very differently. And so when we read stories of martyrs who are horribly uh, tortured for Jesus, they love their enemy. They get to this point, they reach this zenith or this apex of their faith where it's like God meets them and there's just a rest in their souls and there's a joy. I want to be there one day. We'll all be there, it says. But you've got to practice. You can't just hope for, I'll wait there until. And the Bible in the end talks about that even though we're all, you might have accepted Jesus Christ. You might have received him and feel that compelling sense of to follow him but you sit on a couch one day we will all be held accountable for how we walked i don't understand heaven and i don't even pretend to understand levels and rewards i don't get it you know a larger cloud you know a cloud that has central heating i don't know or or air i don't know all the perks that are going to be in heaven but I know it says that some will be honored for their practice. Some will be honored for their practice. Jesus in John 8, 31 and 32 says it this way in the message. I like how it says, uh, and actually this is not John 8, 31 and 32. This is Matthew 28. Um, it's the Great Commission, so that's a wrong. Can't believe whoever did that, that was me. <laughs> I just picked that up. I didn't see that last service. All these people are going to be going, how did he translate that? Um, Jesus, undeterred, went right ahead and gave his charge. God authorized and commanded me to commission you. Listen to what he says. Go out and train everyone you meet, far and near, this, uh, in this way of life, marking them by baptism in the threefold name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Then instruct them to practice. All I've commanded, you. Guys, everything we're doing here at Community Church is about encouraging you and calling you to practice. We can't do that for you. I can't do that for you, you can't do that for me. I by no means stand up here as your perfect pastor, actually very flawed pastor, very, very, very flawed pastor. In fact, if there was a line of sin, I might might be in front of the line. But I'm practicing and you should be too. And if you wanna move in your faith, a church service once a week will not do it for you. Maybe a start, but you need to begin to put into practice the things you already know about God. But then he says this interesting part at the the middle there, he says, some marked by baptism. He says, I want you to baptize people. And this morning, as our worship team comes up, we're gonna have a chance to do baptism. And what we do around here with baptism is this. We have a class that hardly anybody signs up for, right? It's like this idea of prepared baptism. It's not a bad class. I'm not saying that at all. There's something in the psyche of like our culture about this. Baptism is not a way for you to get forgiven of your sin. Who does that? Jesus Christ himself. Baptism is not uh, a way for you to feel better about yourself today it is to be, to be marked you see in the Old Testament they used to go to purification ceremonies before they'd go into the temple and they'd go to the mikvah and they would go down below, be washed to be ready to enter into God's presence, Jesus comes to earth and John the Baptist he goes to John the Baptist and says baptize me and John goes oh my gosh how can I, you're perfect I'm paraphrasing he says I can't do this He said it's necessary. Why? Jesus is modeling something. That we are symbolically to go to this water to say that I died with Christ and now, I I used to have no view of the world or a worldly view. Now that I die with Christ, he enters my life. I have a new way to see life. I know the picture, the card that Mrs. Smith is holding up now. I can see it. I see the world differently. Baptism is publicly professing that. Now, many of you, you didn't make your decision for baptism. Someone else did for you. It's not bad. It's not negative. It's not discounted. The Scripture says, though, when you have made a decision to follow Jesus, then there's water. And you're to mark that. As the writer says, to to be marked. And so some of you this morning dressed up just for baptism, you don't know it yet. God will probably tell you in the moments following. And if you want to be baptized this morning, all you have to do is come down here. Elders will talk to you just about your faith. You need to know Jesus. That's the prequel. You need to know, have accepted Jesus Christ. But then you're to go to the water and we get to celebrate that. And around here, we celebrate by singing these worship songs. And if you have a friend that's getting baptized, be welcome to be up here and take pictures. If some of you want to bring someone up with you, please do that. This is meant to celebrate the starting point of people moving from the couch. And maybe this morning, that's what you need to do. Be baptized. Others of you who have been baptized, can I encourage you, start practicing. Start practicing. This list, make your own list. Maybe that would be a great discipline. Start your own list. It's not an exhaustive one, it's one to call us to begin to be marked and transformed by Jesus. Let's pray as we go into worship and celebrate baptism. Father, we are ready to worship you. Not only in song, but worship your transformation in people's lives. God, may we get to experience and watch those who you are changing. God, will you help call us to practice the things that we've talked about here this morning and so much more. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.